Welcome everyone. And as you know, I'm always delighted to have um, uh, my guests on today and nothing is no different today in terms of um, the amazing Anthony Cousins, who I met uh, way back when in a previous life when I was doing a little bit of advisory work. I'm doing inverted commas for um, a startup that he was um, working for called uh, ProFinder. Um, Anthony's headline, and we always know that I read headlines, needs some work, Anthony. Chief Executive Officer at Fact, Fact Matter. Fact Matter. Um, which is actually it, this is a really really interesting and really really important topic which i was keen to get anthony um anthony on and before i let anthony speak if you actually look at anthony's background i had actually quite realized this forgive me for not doing as much research as i uh, as i should um you're basically a spook former spook uk mod counter-terrorism uk mod this is all a front you're a spook really and truly but i will then be quiet and i will let uh, anthony uh, introduce himself. So, who, what, why, when, where, and let's see where this goes. Okay, I'm not a spook, but the problem is, as soon as you say you're not a spook, everyone goes, "That's what a spook would say." Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I was a civilian, and I, and I worked with the Ministry of Defence, and I, I worked with the armed forces. Yes, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan, and I worked to counter Taliban propaganda and, and did some interesting things, which makes you sound like a spook, but uh, <laughs> I honestly wasn't. Um, so yeah, so uh, my my background. So I actually I have a, a I think a weird background which makes sense when I explain it. But if you look at it from my LinkedIn profile, it's like what the hell was this guy doing? <laughs> um, so yeah, I started out in IT, and actually the first seven years of my career, all I, I started out as a developer, uh, building applications and databases and technologies that kids these days haven't even heard of. Mm -hmm. um, so um, yeah, I did seven years of straight IT work, uh, which has given me a really interesting, I think, perspective on the rest of my career, because as almost all jobs have become more technical, um, my ability to work closely with developers or, or basically work you know, quite closely with systems has been really valuable. So yeah, seven years of, of straight IT work. And then I got on this leadership scheme in the MOD called Midit, um, you know, shout out all the Midit folk. Um, and uh, that really uh, gave me exposure to a whole bunch of different types of roles. So the aim of that program was to make you a broadly deployable leader. Mm -hmm. So yes, the first job I got was in the press office, which was uh, a real rude awakening because it was the height of your Iraq and Afghan conflicts. Yeah. Um, so we were front page news every day. So being in a press office where you're dealing with front page news every day, that becomes normal. I didn't realize how rare that actually is for, for most press officers. Right. Um, it's like, oh, it's front, front page again. Okay, great. Um, or not, you know, depending on the, on the story. Um, but it was also uh, really good to see kind of the diversity of the team is actually one of the things that st stayed with me the rest of my career is um, the importance of the diversity of the team. So in the press office, we were a mixture of press officers, armed forces personnel, career, you know, you know journalists, civil servants like myself. Mm -hmm. Really good team, learned a lot. Um, and yeah, went to Iraq and Afghanistan. That's where I got my first kind of taste of this particular problem, actually. Um, yeah. Not the, the, the fake news problem, but basically fake news is propaganda and disinformation by another name. Um, so in, our, in our, Iraq and Afghanistan, um, seeing Taliban pro propaganda, seeing mm -hmm. kind of Al-Qaeda's single narrative, yeah. um, and start seeing the impact, the real world impact of those lies. Um, and that was really kind of fascinating and game changing for me in terms of my perspective of the importance of communications, the importance of language narratives mm -hmm. and the importance of online media. Yeah. Um, and then kind of went from there into, yes, into counterterrorism, which was much more about Al-Qaeda single narrative um, and understanding how people are radicalized and how people are impacted by by words online. Yeah. Um, then from there into the Middle East, and I was um, kind of, I think, on one of the first diplomatic missions into Egypt after the fall of Mubarak. Yeah. There, the, the social media revolution, which for me, 
um, is I, I think the pinnacle almost of what we've achieved with social media um, mm -hmm. when it was still a relatively new technology um, and people in Egypt figured out that you know, they could organize themselves faster and better on social media than they ever had before and faster than the security apparatus, never mm -hmm. had the, the need to respond. Yeah. Um, so that for me was like the pinnacle that was demonstrating that with social media, with enough people gathered together around a, around a, a single clear need, you can achieve anything you want, including get yourself a new government. Um, so that was the, the top. And then obviously over the course of the last 10 years, it's gone <laughs> slightly downhill. Just, um, a <laughs> just a little bit. So um, seeing, um, I guess, the challenges, not just with uh, the Brexit campaign, but also with um, uh, the 2016 election, 2019 election. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the technologies that social media platforms rolled out to enable companies to sell better, mm -hmm. then obviously got hijacked by people who worked out that's just a great way to monetize content. Doesn't matter if that content is true, false, you know, sexist, racist. In fact, in some cases, the more sexist and the more racist, the better. Because um, it, it angers people, it gets people engaged, mm -hmm. um, etc. So, over the last uh, course of the last ten years, obviously these things have got really bad. Um, and then uh, over the last couple of years, I've become more um, interested in kind of working on that as really the focus of my career. Yeah. Um, so making making best use of my IT background, mm -hmm. um, my kind of experience at kind of PR and comms, and my experience. You know, when we first met at, at Profinder working with specifically machine learning and NLP type technologies, yeah. um, which, you know, since 2014, right? Because mm -hmm. Profiner was one of the first yeah. um, kind, of, kind of focusing on that. So I think that kind of puts me in a unique perspective, unique position mm -hmm. with my real world experience and my technology uh, and PR experience to, to focus on this particular problem. Um, and that brings me to, to Fact Matter. Yeah, so um, joined uh, just a few weeks ago, even though I've been working with, with Drew, the founder for, for months now. Awesome. Um, so, yeah. So it's around, um, for those of you who haven't figured out that A, Anthony is not a spook, wink, wink, um, but B, it's around the challenge we now face in the modern world of kind of disinformation. And this is B2B, B2C. This, this is everything. If we look at kind of what's happening in B2B, which is the angle we're going to look at in terms of where, you know, where fat matter can, um, can come in, is that... Um, to your point, you could be a person in a garage, access to the internet, access to the, the, the social media channels, you create content, you create enough content that's going to cause division or conversation. And then off you, uh, you know, off you go. And I was only talking, you know, talking to my wife um, last night about some of the things that they're now looking at with some of the large organizations who should remain nameless about the challenges that are now coming through through you know eu legislation cookies all this kind of stuff and what that's what that means but it's a real real problem and notwithstanding the the world that you know our children are going to be growing um growing up in and i guess it goes on a good thing in my history i mean it, it, this has been with us forever in terms of you know propaganda way back when when you leaflet drop <laughs> you know you're paying your nazi germany and, uh, and 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 so on and then you know toppling governments it takes me back to the uh behind the scenes or undercover footage of alexander i think it's alexander nix the chairman the ceo of um uh, cambridge analytica we can create or fall governments if you want us to to do that just purely through um through social so fact matter yes what who what why what is it what's the story because you told me the story offline it's fascinating i think our listeners will be interested to um to hear this and then we can unpack it a little bit more yeah definitely and it makes the link i think between that kind of that that uh, fake news problem and actually yeah. b2b so um 
I uh, like most people, I think, um, from from Brexit onwards and from some of the the really good uh, TED talks that have been on the subject from some of the Netflix documentaries that have been on yep. the subject, you know, the social dilemma, which I think was yep. a really a big one that kind of mm -hmm. hit the mainstream. Um, people have become more aware of this problem of, of fake news and, and disinformation. Um, and that's where, you know, Fact Matter got its start um, kind of four years ago now, uh, mm -hmm. building the technology to, to work on that problem, like fake news. How do we identify it? How do we fight it, et cetera? And there's a whole bunch of other companies in that space as well doing, doing that, that kind of work. So that's where we started out. Um, and that's where we focused on kind of underlying technologies to identify it, um, to flag it in, in all its varieties. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a problem that needs to be solved. Um, but... It's not, in my opinion, a commercially sustainable, you know, business proposition, right? Mm -hmm. Because for every lie that's told, there's an organization that's on the receiving end of that lie. For mm -hmm. every piece of fake news or disinformation about a coronavirus vaccine, right? There's a pharmaceutical company whose bottom line is going to be impacted by that. Yeah. Um, and the fact-checking part of this um, is a really important part of the truth ecosystem, um, but it's not a commercially sustainable kind of startup kind of venture that from our from our opinion yeah. um because effectively you're you're putting manual labor into uh, a never-ending a never-ending kind of exponentially growing problem of, of the lies that are being shared online yeah um and you're trying to fix those lies on behalf of the organizations that are you know targeted by those lies so fact matter is kind of growing into a, a technology which is enabling companies to do it for themselves Right. Um, so it's become, therefore, this whole fake news thing is actually pivoted more towards reputation management and brand yeah. safety, um, because every organization, every organization and every individual uh, needs to take ownership of the narrative about themselves. Mm -hmm. um, right. And if you're not, you know, you can only control what you say, but if you can see the narratives, um, whether they're fake or you know, hateful or, or racist or whatever, um, if you can see those narratives earlier and get involved, identify who the influencers are, either mm -hmm. to kind of orchestrate takedowns. Um, or at least understand the narratives, understand where they're coming from yeah. and why they have that view, then mm -hmm. you can do something about it. Um, but at the moment, and this is where we kind of, the, the, we come full circle from fixing fake news to the B2B space. Yeah. At the moment, tools in the, the reputation management space and the brand safety space, media monitoring, social listening, mm -hmm. um, don't really give you the reasons why, right? And I know because, you know, I built uh, a media monitoring system for the 2007, the Ministry of Defense, right. um, which does exactly what the media monitoring tools are still doing today, mm -hmm. which is how many times am I being mentioned? What yeah. is the rough sentiment of those mentions? Mm -hmm. um, give me a word cloud, right? The, these technologies, this is 15 years old, yeah. um, this, this general approach. Mm -hmm. um, but it's 15 years old because the, the problem of actually identifying narratives and understanding the reason behind the numbers is actually a relatively new problem that's only now being solved. So that's kind of where we've come from. Started out in, in fake news, but actually fake news is almost a red herring. Right. It's, yeah. it's a great term and it gets and people sort of understand what it means. But in terms of the practical uh, fix for it, the practical application of the technology to solve it, it's actually in the brand safety and reputation yeah. management space. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's where we're, we're going towards. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how, how we kind of understood it and how we've got into it is organizations need to take ownership of, of that narrative for themselves. Mm -hmm. In fact, the, the way I was um, kind of explaining it the other day is every organization has a firewall, right? They, yeah. they protect with their technology and their data from, from harmful you know, yeah. actors. Every organization needs like a fake news firewall, mm -hmm. right? Every organization needs to understand 
the potentially harmful narratives that are building about it, not just the top level, good, bad or ugly. Um, It's, you know, what are the narratives behind those numbers? And that's what we do. I guess we can, you know, we, and there's all, I guess you can also, there's the, there's the positive spin on things as well. This is the, whilst we're talking about, you know, the, the negative side of things, it's also helpful for organizations to get ahead of, if, if positive oh, stuff yeah. starting to come out, how you can get on the back of that and, uh, you know, from, a, from a, a marketing side of things. We, this is, this kind of whole world of AI is, you know, and I'm now in this space too, in terms of how our technology enables, uh, looks at your social media posts to work out what we believe is going to get the best engagement based on previous, um, previous engagement and so on from nowhere near as sophisticated as what um, uh, you're doing, but you know, who knows where we will be, uh, will be going, but it's, it's this whole concept of, of opinion <laughs> is, is, is divisive in its, own, in its own right, because one should be allowed to have an opinion, I guess, and it's around then, but how far does that opinion go before it is you just doing it for the sake of doing it? You're a keyboard, you're a keyboard warrior, you're a Karen, you're a bad actor doing it to, to whip up, um, you know, the, the, the sentiment, either extreme left, extreme, uh, extreme right. And I read an interesting article that was shared with me yesterday around how these, um, these AI tech companies that are looking to read emotion through facial recognition, actually probably a lot of puff and you can't necessarily just because I'm smiling doesn't mean I'm happy. Just because I'm you know, frowning doesn't mean I'm 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 sad. And based on you know uh, experiments that've been done on tribes that haven't you know, seen kind of a, the real the real world, and w- what does that mean? So how how are you? How can I put this? Almost policing yourself in terms of the technology that you're not almost getting the technology isn't getting drawn into a bubble. Like we've seen, um, you know, pre- your, your, the profiler days in terms of talent management, Amazon had to shut down its recruitment tool because it was trying to not hire pale male, stale men, but the people that was going on the data and actually it got even worse because it was just pivoting more and more towards that. So how do you start to unpick that, the, the why, rather than to your, early, your earlier point, hey, we've been mentioned X and this is the sentiment. Okay, now... Yeah. And, and that's, I guess, the difference between us in the, because we're a pure technology play. Yeah. Um, so the difference between us and an agency, a brand might hire to do the analysis and yeah. give them the insights. Mm-hmm. We're, we're literally the tool set. Um, okay. So PR agencies could use us, brands can use us mm-hmm. um, to understand the narratives. But effectively, all we're doing is is the, the clustering is, is you know, ML, you know, yeah. um, NLP based. Mm-hmm. So a number of different tweets, you know, a single tweet could have multiple opinions within the same tweet, or it could have mm-hmm. none, it could be garbage. Yeah. Um, but our technology simply identifies similar opinions. Okay. And, and that obviously is, is hard in itself, identifying what truly are similar opinions, because they're not mm-hmm. going to use exactly the same words. Yeah. Um, but we identify what the similar opinions are and cluster those together in narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you as a human, and whether you're in the brand or the agency, don't yeah. have to go and figure out what that trend is yourself and all the underlying data. Mm-hmm. We just present to you what the narratives are. Yes, we give you some signals based on some models that we've got, which identify you know, sexism, racism, clickbait, mm-hmm. hate speech, um, all the things that you might be interested in trying to identify. Yes, yeah. it kind of automatically kind of uh, does that analysis for you, mm-hmm. which again, saves you a bunch of time because you don't need to look through all the narratives. You just yeah. need to look through the ones that have those kind of particular particular truly positive or truly negative signals, um, opportunities and threats. Um, but we're not doing any of the insight. Uh, yeah. We're not telling you what to make of it. Um, mm-hmm. We're simply doing all the grunt work mm-hmm. um, to give you in a much quicker time what the interesting facts are. 
um, what the interesting kind of results are. So yeah, we're, we're trying, we're trying wherever possible in every stage in the process from the point of which we collect the data to the processing of the data, the presentation of the data, we're actually trying to keep humans out of the loop um, because that, you know, for every human you put in the loop, the bias is yep. really hard to eliminate. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all, all we're doing is, is the underlying kind of analysis, the real grunt work, basically it's, it's data science in a box, yeah. um, whether you're a peer agency or a brand um, to save you time in identifying what those harmful or, or, or you know, opportunist, opportunist uh, uh, narratives really are and that's a and in, and that, again that's what i'm you know starting to learn around kind of the whole ai piece ai is never going to replace humans you still need to have the human elements in it it's one of the ai and technology to your point does the grunt work and the heavy lifting for then the human to do the the high value bit and look at what the what the data is suggesting and then take a view on that sometimes it could be that you need 20 30 years experience in the industry to be to trust your gut instinct but almost be validated by what the data is is telling you and or dare i say um challenge it but again it's just fascinating having these conversations because it ties back into what i'm seeing in terms of the broader narrative of sales and marketing and b2b and you look at the research that's now starting to come through in terms of how covid has impacted kind of the entire digital economy of how we buy so things like to play this into that uh, Forrester was saying that now survey at the beginning of the year, 68% of their 68% of their respondents said they can now shortlist a vendor purely on digital digital content. Now it's around thinking about how that digital content is, is then being distributed, where it's coming from, who's talking about it, who's the influencer behind it. I don't think we'll necessarily see kind of the bad actors come in like we do in kind of the, the B2C or civilian narrative but there's going to have to be to your point i like it anthony the, the firewall almost how can i be really sure that what i'm just because that person has said it backed up with that piece of research how can i be really sure in terms of what i'm you know what i'm reading but then that also then starts to shift the skill set dare i say it required either an agency or a brand reputation you know the pr team reputation management team to be able to look at this data in a different way and then do something with it. And it goes back to a blog post that I read back in 2017, where she's now at Cisco. She was at LinkedIn, Katrina Neal was her name. She had a tweet saying, um, I believe any, I paraphrase, I believe any marketer that says, I think in front of a data-driven exec team will be asked to leave. I think you could change that marketing, sales, brand, finance, HR, it doesn't matter. But then the article goes on to say, do we actually need data scientists in our marketing teams, in our finance teams to kind of support this? So I appreciate you are kind of early on in, in this and the conversations you're having with clients. What are you seeing in terms of the skill sets within organizations? Are they there? Do we need to review what that skill set is in terms of the right type of people to be able to actually work with technology platforms such as yours? Um, yes, I, I think so. And it's not obviously it's not just in this industry, it's in every industry, the, mm -hmm. the growth of AI and machine learning as technologies, mm -hmm. um, where it's used well, where it's used yeah. correctly, right, it is literally where you've got a, a large number of tasks, which are predictable in their inputs and outputs, right, great opportunity for AI, right, so you don't have to spend as much time literally just going through the individual tweets, mentions and mm -hmm. articles and trying to identify the trend of yourself, you can cluster it, you can do the analysis, bang at the summary dashboard, all that time saved. So in terms of the skill sets, you're right, that it might not be different people. It may well be 
um, different jobs that those individuals do. So they're not doing mm -hmm. the underlying analysis, yeah. um, kind of the, identifying the underlying data sets, because that's all done. What they're mm -hmm. doing is, is more value add, the human creative side, mm -hmm. um, which is where I think AI for me is still going to make massive uh, differences, not just the industry, but all industries, which is the, the humanity of, of ourselves. Like we get to spend time doing the things that we enjoy, which challenge our creative, creative mindset and not kind of mundane, predictable tasks. Yeah. Um, so I think in this industry, um, yes, it might not be different people, but it will be different tasks and different expenditure of time, right? If you look at the pie chart of, of yeah. how much time people spend on things, the, the whole chunk we go, goes on to underlying data analysis yeah. is going to shrink significantly. And mm -hmm. therefore, the amount of time you have to spend on creative, you know, value-add human work uh, will increase. So, yeah, I think we will see that. And with our early clients, that's what they're seeing. So I think okay. this is where I think it gets interesting is if agencies or brands are out there are still doing it one way, they're just going to end up at a competitive disadvantage yeah. to people who are doing it the other way because those people are putting more creative human time on, on the topics than, than they are. Um, so yeah, I, I think it will be not so much potentially different different amount of people, but probably different tasks those people do. Yeah, and no doubt a bit of reskilling involved in in some of those people. Yeah. And it'll, again, it'd be you know I, <clears throat> I know I, I sound like a stuck record when I talk about TikTok, but I'm on TikTok because I need to un, un, understand it. Um, faces its own challenges, but some of the creatives on there, these these, these young kids, utterly in insane and the insanity around the investment advice that's now been given around crypto and this and that i remember way back when a former colleague of ours um and his his foray into into um into crypto and talking uh, talking about that i hope he's doing okay um it, it's just fascinating how rapidly this is going but if we just take a step back so data I'm familiar with social listening um, tools. We talked about the Microsoft, uh, the Microsoft one, which reminds me, I do need to make that introduction for you. Um, what data are you, so obviously you're looking at social data. So you're looking at stuff that's publicly available in terms of what people are talking about. But are you bringing in, um, and I know you never asked leading questions, are you bringing in any third party data? The models that you, you talk about that you use, are those proprietary or they are, are they based on kind of proven scientific theory that, that, that is out there? So how, how's that side of things work without giving away obviously the, the, the secrets to the magic in the black box? Yeah, so um, in terms of the data sources, we, we, we have arrangements in place. We're not a data aggregator ourselves. Mm -hmm. We just have relationships with people who do that. And there's, yeah. there's a whole bunch of really good people out there um, who have uh, first party relationships with the, with the platforms mm -hmm. or um, are doing crawling um so you know because there's and i would say it's not just social media it's also just general web content yeah um, so we are interested in forums and blogs and, and news yeah. articles you know because that's also where opinions start and opinions are shared um so yeah we, we actually go across the whole the whole space so we're not just a social, social media listening company yeah um uh, and we're technically not really a social media listening company we're we're narrative analysis we sit on top of, yeah. of that kind of data set so yeah we go across the whole of the internet because that's where opinions are Mm -hmm. um and we sit on top of that for the for the analysis um so yeah that's kind of uh, and i think that's where we'll probably sit because I, I i don't think it's i don't think it's uh good for our business for our focus to get dragged into trying to do the data aggregation piece it's yeah. sort of, so almost a solved problem and there's plenty of players out there there's so many out there now that you know yeah. doing buy, you know plug and play and buy and um and put it in so then with regards to the the, the models around the, the the narratives and the clustering of these these opinions is that proprietary ip or is that based on um obviously it's proprietary ip what a stupid question but is that based on kind of 
science, as it were, um, and the reason I asked the question, I'll reflect on that article around kind of AI facial recognition and um, feeling and, and, yeah. and emotion, which is now starting to be kind of disproven for those listening, I'm doing inverted commas. Yeah, no, we, that is proprietary. Obviously, we've got a bunch of patents um, mm -hmm. around how we do that. Um, yeah. The underlying science, because that, that's where it gets interesting, right? Because you've got the underlying science in this topic is actually really relatively nascent. Okay. Um, so there, is, there isn't, there hasn't been like ten years worth of um, kind of the way it's called. You get academics get some funding, work yeah. on a problem, they they develop out, you know, an idea, then it gets kind of commercialized. We're still at the commercialization stage of those that early research and models. So yeah. um, we're still right now our head of um, head of machine learning is still right now winning championships in kind of um, linguistic conferences for the papers we're writing on this problem. Um, so it's it's still really early days yeah. in terms of actually trying to work out the the fundamental science. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that that's the stage we're at. We've we've actually got the the models, we've got the intelligence, we've got the patents. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really early days, I would say, um, in in terms of this, which is the reason why it's not more widely available, right? Because yeah. it it it's taken us a few million dollars of investment to get to the point we're at uh, in terms of commercialization of that underlying science, which itself is relatively new. Fantastic. So treat me as not difficult as an, an idiot. Um, I know most of my listeners will probably probably agree, but if we think in kind of the, the, the B2B space, traditional P2B, so B2B, so any of those kind of big brands that we might you know, be aware of, so Microsoft and SAP, um, kind of steady run-of-the-mill organizations, what might the use case be for them in terms of what you do? Let's kind of break that break that down and work through what that might look like got it um so if you take uh well take a, a kind of a a, a big um organization like an like an sap yeah um in their space um is probably whilst there is a b2c element to every large business these yeah. days right because um every large business business could have supply chain issues or environmental impact or mm -hmm. um, something they haven't considered yeah which then drives yeah <laughs> right which then drives the b2b angle because yeah. businesses don't want to do associate with you because they med maybe b2c yeah um and they have you know so it, it works all the way down these days which i think is awesome um because it means everyone is accountable uh, these yeah. days and i hadn't even um, thought of the environment you know the carbon you know wanting to be carbon neutral and all then having thought of the supply chain side of things it's massive this isn't it because you could have somebody that then is yeah okay so sorry continue i'm interrupting there's, there's, there's no such thing as b2b really truly anymore because almost every business has a b2c element in terms of the the brand and the reputation yeah um so i think that's where if you're a large organization and you're b2b uh, one is the, the basic stuff, right? You can find out what people are saying about your brand, and it doesn't matter if that if those if that's going to in the B two C space. You can find out what B two B people are saying about your brand, yep. um, and and how they're talking about your brand compared to other brands. Mm -hmm. um, and you can identify those narratives uh, related to your price, your product, your proposition, whatever. Um, so you can do that basic stuff. You can see that also about your competitors, because um, yep. you could be doing you know market entry, or you could just be doing competitor analysis. Mm -hmm. So the, the basic tool sets, the basic reasons why you want to understand what's being said about brands still exist, and, and we still support those. But obviously, for all of those, we do it at another level of detail. Yep. Um, it's not just where is you know this brand in terms of um, their positive sentiment compared to me. It's mm -hmm. you know, what are the narratives about that it's brand compared why. to my brand? So it's always about the why. And that's what we go to. It's the qualitative kind of the giving you the visuals of, of the why. 
mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just the overall numbers. So that stuff all, all still exists. Um, and then, of course, yes, the point I just made around um, just because you're B2B, you're interested in the narratives, maybe re- relevant to your product and to your services. Um, mm-hmm. What are the supply chain issues? What are the risks that um, are out there in terms of the narratives from, from individuals, from the public? Um, yeah. that might be relevant to your then potential to do business in other markets to, to, to sell certain products. Um, so yeah, I think the ESG element is, is always there. Yeah. ESG, everyone's talking about ESG at the moment in terms of got the biggest transfer of uh, biggest transfer of, of wealth, but that's a whole separate, uh, separate kind of conversation. It could be an interesting one in terms of, you know, what do people actually really think about ESG and investing in, um, in the world for, um, uh, for, for good. So what, what's the what's and I you know I know you've, you said you've been working with them for with the Fat Matter for 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 a while now, but obviously you're just new in role as uh, as chief exec as the as the organisation. That obviously giving away trade secrets, <laughs> you're not a spook. Um, what what is the the vision? Where 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 what is the vision with this? Where do you want to go? Got it. Um, so I think the, the the pivot that we've kind of ended up on, right? Mm-hmm. This cycle of starting out on fake news and then realizing actually it's not just about fake news it's about brand safety and, and brand yep. reputation that's how we fix fake news um that also means um uh, if you look at the market right now so you know the large organizations that can afford to to either do kind of you know, media monitoring or socializing themselves mm-hmm. maybe they have their own data science teams they're collecting all the data doing analysis yep. themselves or maybe they're hiring an agency to do it for them and, mm-hmm. and you know those are relatively large companies if you look down the kind of the, the stratus right that it, it kind of it levels out pretty quickly the yeah. companies that can afford to do that. Most companies do not do that. Most yeah. companies are on Google alerts, right? Yeah. Um, it's because that's the cheapest, you know, it's free. Just, I just want to know kind of what's being said about me. Yeah. So I've got basic keywords and basic services like that. Um, and that's kind of the lower end of, of the spectrum. Um, I think what we're thinking is whilst um, our premium products, the, the, the tool set that comes with that is definitely targeted at brands and PR agencies to do all the rich detailed analysis they need to do. What we want to do is make that product available to a much larger range of organizations. Okay. So yep. creating kind of a tiered approach. Mm-hmm. So if, if all you want to do is find out kind of what's being said about you and whether there's any risks, maybe there's a version of this product we can kind mm-hmm. of make available to, to, to the a much larger uh, range of organizations. Um, to this kind of fake news firewall point. Yeah. So I think what we're where we see it going is actually this isn't just a PR tool. This isn't just a brand tool. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a tool for every organisation mm-hmm. um, to understand what what fake news, what disinformation, what information is revolving around its brand and in its space. Um, more interesting than just a keyword mention from whatever it is Google Alerts can find these days. Absolutely, and I think this also plays into the wider narrative around you know what the what's coming out the other side of you know, when we get to the other side of the world, we we find ourselves in that digital is going is going nowhere. Social media is going nowhere. You know, new platforms are popping up left, right, and left, right, and centre. And we've also seen how quickly things can go. Not even just from um, dare I say it from um, you know the, the hate side of things. How quickly things can just spin out of control even an employee doing an innocent something or all they think something is and then how that can spin to being front page front yeah. page news and that's and, and that's the really interesting thing about the the opinions is the, the opinion might start on twitter um, but then end up on because facebook because all connected right the ability to share yeah. goes completely across platforms so the ability um for an opinion to get shared on twitter go to facebook and then kind of end up on a bunch of different facebook groups before it goes up to a blog to a forum and then end up in mainstream media right that whole chain mm-hmm. but it's one narrative yeah and that's, that's, I think, one of, one of the biggest time savers we do. Because if you were looking just at Twitter, you might see one. If you're looking just at the forms, you might see the other. But the identification, that's all the same narrative. 
yeah. and bringing that together in a view, I think that's one of the biggest time savers that we probably offer. Absolutely. And then to your point, getting ahead of it, you know, exactly. starting to, I'm not a PR expert in any shape or form, but I do understand try and control the narrative as quickly as, you know, as quickly as one, um, uh, as one can in obviously within the framework, which is appropriate and so on and, uh, and so forth. I know we could talk about this for, for, for hours. And I know that we're only scratching the surface in terms of what, what's to come and i'm like you know if we look back if we have this call again in 10 years time i mean hopefully both you and i've sold out and we're multi-millionaires and we're sitting on our both private yachts waving to each other that's the idea right um i just don't know where 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 it's going but uh, it's always good to talk to you um anthony you're always a fount of uh, fount of knowledge where can people people are listening if they want to kind of find you where should i direct them to your your profile is there maybe a freebie they can try on the website where, where yeah can... if they i mean if they reach out to me on linkedin or or hit the website um brand new website is going live literally in a day um so oh. um the kind of and it will demonstrate i think the pivot if you look at it now it's kind of it's a bit more fact checky um sort of related and then our mm-hmm. narrative monitoring product is there but the new website is much more in depth on the narrative monitoring and there is a kind of a contact us um, we actually will be releasing kind of a, a sign up kind of on the website itself. Mm-hmm. So this idea of kind of like, just give me a quick look at what the threats are about my brand. That's going to be on the website. Um, so that, that's where we want to get to. Everyone should be able to do this. And, you know, and that's not just kind of makes good commercial sense. It's the only way we're actually going to make a dent in this whole kind of disinformation problem, right? Yeah. Is the only way to scale it is to give every organization the tool set to do something about it. Absolutely. And for those that are listening, this has been recorded on the 5th of May. So if you're, the website probably will already be live. The new one by the time you're um, uh, you're listening to this, I'll put all the links into um, uh, the varying uh, varying channels. But um, Anthony, as always, thank you for your uh, for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, for my listeners, thank you for tuning in. Um, if you want if you want to find out more about what Anthony and his team are doing, please reach out. If there's anybody you want to be on this podcast, if you want to be on this podcast, uh, then reach out and um, uh, connect with me. We'll see what we can do. But um, for now. Anthony, thank you very much. And um, listeners, I will see you this time next week.